And we are back. Welcome back to Coffee Hour Podcast. How are you? I'm all good. Welcome back. Episode number four. How you been? Good, man. We were just talking about how we're going to make the podcast more sustainable. Of course. And how would we do that? Well, no more printing of paper. All digital. Yeah. So for for people who are listening and they don't know what we're talking about, uh, we get the transcript uh, printed. Well, I do. And Will does as well. So, yeah, we're going to be more sustainable now. Yeah, eco-friendly and everything. Although we don't have a timeline for that, so we are just waffling here. Yeah, we are. But, like, it, it's, it's, the, it's you know, we have it in mind, which I think we should, we should get a medal for that. Just to say, if anyone doesn't know what a transcript is, um, it's just some brief bullet points of topics. So yeah. we, don't, we don't have a script of everything that we're going to say. It would just be, like, one sentence. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. All right. How you been? Tell me about the day. My day has been pretty slow. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday just after lunch. So yeah, I haven't really got up to much. What about you? Uh, yeah, same really. I mean, just recently I, I finished some important uni work. So today is like meant to be my relaxed day. But yeah, I mean, still have some exams coming up soon. We'll get into that. But as of today, well, it's I'm to your, just chilling. It's meant to be your relaxed day, but you're actually, you've got to edit a five-hour podcast, so. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's Here's to that. Yeah, literally. Yeah, today's meant to be the day I'm meant to be comfortable, which is actually our first point, actually. Are we too comfortable? Well, where are you sitting right now? In my room, on a chair. That is comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we are too What's comfortable. the temperature in the room? I do not know. I'd assume like 20, no, probably less, 15. How do you feel? I feel great. I think you're too comfortable. I agree. I think I think I am. What about you? You describe, you answer the same well, questions. I think we, we've got the heating on. Um, I'm at a desk. I'm in quite a comfy chair. I've got a cardigan on. So definitely I am too comfortable. I don't think we wanted to, we didn't want to talk about it like literally, mm-hmm. as in what are we doing, Yeah. but more so in general. So what do we mean when we say, are we too comfortable? Do we mean British society or do we mean people our age range or do we mean people in our social class? Like what, what are we specifically going for here? What, what do you think? Uh, I'd like to say people our age around the world. However, obviously the living situation for each country may be different, how they grow up, the culture, everything behind it. So I would just like to say, are we too comfortable right now? As in the British society, people, people our age, like, because in our age, let's think about it. We don't necessarily have to worry about the financial status at the moment. Some people do, which I mean, fair play to them. But in our age is what makes us too comfortable? I think like... We take it for granted in terms of our own comfort. And I mean in terms of material goods, but I also mean in terms of where we live, how we operate within our lives. We we underestimate perhaps the struggle, the the grind, and the disparity between our lives and those less fortunate than us who don't have heating, for example, who only have one pair or set of clothes, who 
do not have the facilities to create a podcast, for example. And so in that sense, and of course, there are a myriad of other factors, but in that sense, I do feel that in general, uh, me specifically, and you as well, we are too comfortable. And I guess it's a question of without trying to sound like I'm preaching. Um, it's a question of how do we come to terms with that and what can we do about it? Because it's all good talking about it, but it's not like we are going to give up our laptops or give up our phones. So how do we cope with being too comfortable? Um, well, firstly, it's just the element of, okay, why do we want to not be uncomfortable in the first place? And to answer that, I think people who've experienced some sort of an uncomfort in their life, whether that's to do regarding the financial situation, like the family situation, how they grew up, I think they, most of them at least, happen to grow up more disciplined and happen to grow up to be somewhat smarter, not necessarily higher IQ, but they happen to be more logical. And the reason for that could be because they had to make decisions earlier than they should have. Like sometimes a kid has to make a decision that an adult's meant to make. Um, so by saying, what do we do is like, what would be even the point of us putting ourselves in something that's uncomfortable? But I just think, um, I don't know, actually, I think it's good to struggle sometimes and like trying to go our own way rather than having this element of, okay, knowing we have the support from our friends, from our family, uh, not to do with a financial situation, whether it's just decision making or whatever. But yeah, I just think people who grow up in somewhat of an un uncomfortable environment, uh, some of them just happen to be more logical than than all of us because they know what it's like to be that. And they sometimes they grew up like they grow up like that. Whereas if we grow up the way we grow up, as we say, like too comfortable, we are at some point most likely going to hit a point where it's not up to our standards. That's just, that's just life. Whether that's with our emotions, whether that's the financial part, uh, whether that's with friends and family, it's just a matter of what, what do we do with that? Like, what do we do? How can we, how can we put ourselves in a situation that's un uncomfortable? But how do we deal with that if we didn't grow up with it? I get what you're saying. Yeah, some some younger people in particular are put into situations where they have to be a grown up um, far, far beyond their years, far before their time. And in that sense, it can make you a little bit streetwise. Uh, it can help in your decision making because you have that frame of reference in terms of hardship. I think in terms of where we are in, in regards to, you know, are we too comfortable? It's about yes, recognizing, okay, that we are, and not taking things that we have for granted, you know, that being said, I don't think it's something for us to take negatively. Um, because you don't pick the class into which you were born, you don't pick, you know, your socioeconomic circumstances, especially when you're younger. And so that is something out of your control. All you can do, I guess, is be mindful of those who are not comfortable or are going through hardship for example and and keep that in your mind when decisions and the circumstances 
require you to be more thoughtful and mindful, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I totally understand that point. It's just, what do you think is the main difference between people who grow up in comfort? Once again, that could be both from the emotion side and the financial side. And the people who grow up missing one of these elements, do they just grow up without that? Like without knowing what that's like? Or do they grow up to be motivated to create that? It's a brilliant question, actually. I think that people who are born into comfort, as they grow up and they learn about the world, they strive to put themselves in uncomfortable situations so that they have that frame of reference and so that actually they feel that they have a capacity to do more. Whereas I think people who grow up in discomfort are always striving to put themselves into that comfortable position because they know what it's like to struggle. And so they're trying to get out of it. So it's sort of the opposite. You have one party who is striving for that comfort and will work incredibly hard to get that. And you have the other party who, through privilege and through their position, can strive for moments and episodes of discomfort in order, again, actually, to, I guess you could say, in a sense and it's quite it's quite old-fashioned but to build character uh to build some grittiness to their person so that that's what i think i think you have two polar opposites yeah and i think i think the ones who happen to grow up in somewhat of an uncomfortable position like they they enjoy it more like i'll give you an example i think if someone grows up traveling with a bus everywhere, not having the luxury of having a car in their family, whether it's for themselves or for their family, like they have to go with a car everywhere, shopping and everything. If they ever get to a point where they're so successful and they buy like a high-end car, like expensive car, they're going to appreciate that so much more to someone who happens that their dad drops them off at school with a Bentley. Shout out Victoria Beckham. But, yeah, it's just I think that person who grew up traveling with the bus, not having the luxury of having their parents dropping them off at yeah. school, not having the luxury of, you know, just going places with their own car, just enjoys it more because perhaps they didn't know what or they do know what it's like to not have it at all in the first place. Well, exactly. I think, you know, when someone, for example, does not have a family car, and they have to do everything through public transportation. Once their family does get a car, um, in in literal sense, it makes your life so much quicker, so much easier, and actually allows you to do so many more things in your day because you don't have to plot out a certain amount of hours to go to the supermarket, a certain amount of hours to go to the laundrette, a certain amount of hours to travel to work and travel home. It makes your life more compact, which then allows you to pursue your own individual pleasures. And in turn, that makes you a happier individual. So in that sense, I think comfort is such a such an incredibly valuable thing because it makes living so much easier. And yeah, I do think we are too comfortable. Um, and I don't know where I'm going with this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no don't worry i just like yeah it's as you said it's it's a very interesting topic because like if you go ask someone who's 
somewhat not comfortable right now and ask them, well, would you want to be comfortable right now? They'll probably say yes immediately. But if you go ask someone who's comfortable, would you want to experience not being comfortable? Most of them would say no. But I think it should be, I can't say it should be mandatory because there's no way to enforce comfortable people to experience discomfort. Um, Well, I think it just teaches you a level of discipline and a level of respect, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't get to by just living in the comfortable world you're living in. So what do you think? Is there something we could do or is there something that can be done that will benefit these quote-unquote comfortable people? There's not... Um, uh, what you have to do, I think, is, like I said before, recognize it and also be, you know, proactive. Be willing to put yourself outside your comfort zone because actually as we have said, it can be quite beneficial to your character and beneficial to your experiences in life, which in turn, I think, will make you a happier individual. What do you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I somewhat agree with that. It's just, I think, are people willing to do that, though? Like, I'll use you or I'll use myself as an example. Am I willing to just randomly wake up one day and be like, ah, you know what, today I'm going to step out of my comfort zone? Not, not in a bad, I mean, every day I do somewhat step out of my comfort zone. I think that's how you learn. But like, is there a day where I just wake up that I'd be like, okay, today I'm just not going to use my phone today. I'm not going to do that. I, actually, that's, I remember you used to do that before. This is maybe a year ago or something like that. Every Sunday you used to just like not use your phone. Yeah. And you just describe it as better. Like, How, how do you describe that? What, what was that feeling like? And why did you stop? Well, the decision to do it was in terms of my workload, um, I just felt that the phone was a distraction and Sunday is typically a more chill day where you're not necessarily in contact with your friends. People are usually doing their own thing. And I just found it much more beneficial to me if, if I just turn off my phone for the day and put it in the drawer, I can get so much more work done, but I can also just, you know, focus on what's in front of me. I can be more present in the moment. And so that was me taking a proactive decision where, which I didn't have to do, but actually I found it very beneficial. And I got a lot of work done on the Sundays over the past year. And the reason I stopped doing it was I felt, okay, actually, I mean, things change in your life and sometimes you have, you have more responsibility. Um, and so you need to be in contact with certain people, but, um, I just no longer needed, I no longer saw the phone as a distraction in that way. Whereas a year ago, it was quite a big distraction. And so I was quite happy and content to say, yeah, I'm just going to put it in the in the drawer for a day. And okay, some friends might not be happy about that. But like, that's just what I need to do. I'm sorry, that's just how it is. So I think, yeah, I think, like you said before, stepping outside your comfort zone, we try and do that every day, because that's how you build your character. That's how you learn new experiences and that's how you progress in life. So I think it's a really important thing to do that. And listen, I think if you're comfortable or if you're not comfortable, you still do need to put yourself outside of your comfort zone. I think there is um, there's a dichotomy between those who are less comfortable and more comfortable and the hardship they have to go through. That's absolutely true. But I think all of us put ourselves through, you know, these situations where we have to be proactive. And that's a really important thing because that allows you to get a promotion at job at your job, for example, to get a new job, for example, or 
to go volunteering and a brand new experience you meet so many different people and you get to support a good cause so yeah i think it's it's really good to step out of our comfort zone but i also think it's beneficial and important to recognize when you are comfortable and to factor that in with your with your relationships with different people to remember that you might not be coming from the same socioeconomic background and to keep that in mind yeah exactly and i think like once again this phone thing i think if you were to if i if you were to never that and i were to tell you okay today just put your phone away fully don't use it you'd probably be a bit i don't want to say nervous but it's some it's probably you won't feel comfortable you'd probably still do it but you won't feel comfortable but knowing you've already experienced it knowing you know what it's like to put your phone away for a day and then use it the next day right now you're probably it's something more normal to you like it's not something that will stress you or make you feel uncomfortable and that's just because you got used to that discomfort do you know what else it is though it's really freeing have you tried it yourself i'd be interested to know uh no no there was never a time where i was like okay i want to be on my phone now but i won't be but i mean obviously there's been times where i've been like obviously out with friends or i've been training where i wasn't on my phone for like hours but never a time where i'll be like okay i want to go on my phone now but i won't like not really i'll be interested to do know how it feels like though well we do that all the time right when we go out with our partners or we go out training or we go out on a job interview or something where we're like okay the phone's going away for this set amount of hours but if you say like okay i'm putting it away on a thursday night and i'm not going to use it for the whole of friday you'll find that you won't actually be bored, but what you'll find is you can do so many more things. I think the problem is though, um, that we're so dependent now on our phones, on social media, on contact that with other people through our phones that we just can't do it. It's actually, it can be beneficial in the short term, but I think over a certain amount of period, like, yeah, you do, you do need your phone actually, but it's an interesting uh, social experiment to try. I think you should do it. I think actually this is what you should do tomorrow. You should put that phone away. Okay. See how it goes. Keep like a little log, everything that you did in a day, but also like your experience. What was it like? Yeah, I could try to do that. That's crazy with the phone thing, how it just came so quickly and it just happened to be a part of everyone's life. Like it's such a normal thing now. Like I remember like obviously it phone has kind of somewhat been in our generation the whole time, but internet wasn't like i remember maybe 10 15 years ago where just having a phone was weird like not weird but like it wasn't like this like people lived without their phone like it wasn't a case of i have to be on my phone it wasn't a case of i won't go anywhere without my phone people just walk out people just come back in like they don't mind like sometimes everyone now and then they'll call with the phone it's crazy how quickly it came into our lives because I'm looking at my screen time like on daily basis and sometimes it's like four hours sometimes it's six hours and I'm like thinking wow like when my dad was my age there was no such a thing as phone there was no such a thing as let me go on YouTube on the TV there was no such a thing as let me just bring the TV go on Netflix and that's if that's six seven eight hours of my day and if you combine the hours I watch like Netflix I'm on my phone if that's like eight hours of my day, nine hours of my day, and you take that all away and say, okay, this is not an option. As you said, it comes back to the point of you can do so much more. You get, you can get so, you can get stuff done because if I don't have that nine hours to, or if I don't have those stuff to spend that nine hours on, 
I'm meant to spend nine hours somehow. So what do I do? Like, what did they do? Like, what did they do in their time? You're absolutely right in terms of like how quick it's developed, like over the past, I guess, well, I guess the main thing we should say is it's like social media has accelerated all of this. Yeah. So in terms of like how social media has developed, we could say the last 15 years, but do you know why it has developed so quickly? And it's one, it's one word and it's efficiency mm-hmm. because it makes everything so much more efficient that is why maybe 10 15 years ago you would still find a lot of people without a smartphone because they just didn't need it you know banking they could do in person um they could probably still i mean they would still use emails but they do it on a computer not their phone but now it's like you're sort of society has progressed in a way where it's like you sort of have to use a mobile phone because certain services that you need to get about your daily life are only available online, for example. So you sort of have to be invested in that. But you are absolutely right. The the surge and the acceleration and the integration of, of these smartphones and social media and technology into our lives is incredible. And paradoxically, okay, you would say, well, if I didn't have my phone, imagine how much I could get done. But you can flip that and say, well, if I didn't have my phone, imagine how much I couldn't get done, you know? So it's like there are benefits and there are negatives. And you can make the argument for both ways, actually. I think, I think, yeah, like I was saying before, like a good thing to do is every now and again, just put the phone away for a day. But to live in the world that we live in right now and the society we live in right now, you do need the phone. Like, don't permanently put it away in the drawer, okay? Maybe like once every few weeks, put it away for a day, enjoy the time with your girlfriend or your family, but like, you do need it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And once again, the social media factor is is crazy to me. Like, to think if 25, if we were living 25 years ago and then you'd come up to me and be like, oh, in 25 years or in 20 years, there's going to be this platform like there's going to be this thing called social media where you could instantly video call someone across the globe or you could instantly share a video that someone else has posted on it and laugh together like i'd probably laugh at you if you were to tell me this 25 years ago i'd probably like you're nuts but here we are and if we think like maybe 30 years from now 40 years from now going to be something else which if someone were to tell us now, we'd laugh at them. But that something else is going to be an important part of like our kids' life, for example, or the next generation. And it's crazy. Like, what could what could it be? What could that thing be? That could be the next biggest thing that's missing. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. If we went back 25 years and you said social media, this and whatever else, whatever other technology we have, it would look like it's something out of a sci-fi movie. I guess like if we're going to predict where technology goes in the next, I don't know, what do you say, 30 years, we need to look at where's the trend going. And even though this is this has been the trend now for a few years and it hasn't seemed to caught on catch on yet, you would probably say it's got to be VR, no, especially with Apple's now getting into the game. I think that's releasing next year. The um, is it called the Vision Pro? Yeah, yeah, Apple Vision, which looks insane, by the way. Exactly. So I guess it's heading in that direction. And then you would go, okay, what's the next iteration? Well, how does technology usually work? Well, that headset 
the future generations will probably get smaller. You would then think, how small can it get? Is it going to become as small as like a pair of glasses? Is it going to become as small where it's like a chip that you have implanted? Because that's how technology works. You get this incredible thing that's really cutting edge. And then through iterations, it gets streamlined and it gets smaller and more efficient, smaller and more efficient. So I guess if we're going to say that VR is the future, well, then they're just going to streamline VR until it's much more efficient and easy to use. So I think that's probably the direction where it's going to go in 30 years. But I wonder if there's any other sort of forms of technology, things that are sort of coming into play now that you think might be really important, you know, 20, 30 years down the line. That's one thing I'm curious about as well. But once again, with the VR thing, I think that would be the next big thing because, as you said, it's the the thing with technology is just making it more efficient over time. So even before, like, before phones, there used to be like obviously home telephone numbers. People would communicate with like wired phones and stuff like that. And now it's more efficient where we could just walk around, talk basically people anywhere. But yeah, I think yeah, VR would be the next thing. But the question I somewhat have is. Is there going to be something that we don't know that's missing from our life until it comes to our lives? Do you know what I mean? Because with VR, you could already somewhat guess what it would be. Like, let's let's think, what would VR be? It would probably be like somewhat of a digital world, which will be, I don't want to say living in, but which would just be fun to spend time with. It would be, I'd, I'd assume some businesses would probably use that. I'd assume people would use that for entertainment purposes. And it will just make life easier. Just like, let's be real, just like telephones do. Mobile phones make life easier. Um, so with VR, I think, yeah, it'd be a case where it would make your life easier. But my question here is, is there going to be something that's going to be, I don't want to say, like, is there going to be a new invention? Is there going to be something that, the technology brings which we didn't know it's missing in our life until it comes to our life do you know what i mean yeah i get you there's always that thing where it's like they need to predict what we want before we do it and that's what like for example like advertisers are really good at doing i guess if we go to like well let's think about social media and how that happened you know who necessarily thought that we need an online way to connect with people. I mean, it makes such logical sense, but I think when social media companies um, began releasing their platforms and people started to sign up to them, I don't think it was a widespread thought in society like, oh, we need to become a friend with this person on Facebook. It was like, no, we're going to meet that person in in, in person and becomes friend, friends with them through that way. So it's always, it's a question with technology where, you have to predict what people need or you sort of you steer them in a direction to make them think that they need it if we take social media for an example do we think it's a common force for good or a common force for negativity well i think probably it's more so a cause for good but as it's developed it's become more complex now strip it down to its most basic form and what social media does is it allows you to connect with people all around the world, people who you might not have the opportunity to meet. For example, if you were if you were in a world where social media did not exist. So in that sense, it's a very beneficial thing. But of course, there are the negatives like cyberbullying, like frauds, you know, people being exploited. So there are negative, there are negative aspects and positives. 
issue with that is people. There's always people who will take advantage of stuff like that. Whatever you make, there will be people who will take advantage of it. And there will be people who, no matter what, they're going to start or they're going to annoy people. There's always going to be cases where people would do that. But I'm sure that's not why it was made for. That's true. I think we've got to we got to give it the benefit of the doubt and and think and assume that when these applications and these technologies are created, they're always created with the intention of good. You know, I think the problem happens like because they're also businesses and businesses evolve. And so they become more complex and they have, you know, different elements to them, which is then harder to police. You have, you know, you come up with a streamlined goal of creating an application which allows you to connect with more people. Um, but then it, it branches out into something like Instagram, for example. And then that branches out into something like Instagram Reels. And there's like all these subsets and all these different categories, which makes it so much more complicated and so much harder to police. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it comes with, but it always starts from a vision of good. I think that's the important thing to assume. And so whatever technology that is going to be introduced, it's always going to come with the best intentions, I think, even if it's like I said, you know, they're sort of trying to predict uh, what we need before we need it. I do think the technology itself is always going to be something that is positive, for example. But if we take like VR, um, I think initially it's probably going to have its most success in gaming. But if you think about the VR experience, who's not to say that, you know, at some point, for example, um, we might start seeing like, and this is quite a niche example, but we might start seeing like advertising in VR, for example. So you'll be playing a game and then suddenly you have like a 30 second ad break. Now, who would have thought of that? It was never intended for advertisers, but I think like, as something like VR expands and becomes more accessible to everyone, it's only natural that then advertisers would get involved and that distorts the VR experience. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. things are created with a really good intention. They grow and then it's hard to police. It's hard to control that because in essence, it, it gets out of your control. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. It's yeah. It's, it's so useful, man. Technology in itself is just so useful. It's like, I'm working on my dissertation at the moment. I think I said this on previous episodes, but uh, like I'm writing something and I'm thinking, oh, wait, okay, what is this? I don't know. Like, do I have to go to the library? Like maybe 30 years ago, I had to go to a library, find a book, find which chapter of the book, find a specific chapter of the book, read the thing I have in mind and then find it. But right now I'm sitting here, I'm drinking my coffee, I'm working on the dissertation and I'm like, okay, what is this? I don't know. I, don't know. I just search it on Google. Two seconds later, I have the answer. That is an example of where like technology can be a really good thing, but I can give you a flip side to that where, okay, you search and you find the answer, but how do you know it's a credible source, right? Because there's so much information now available that it's harder to sift through what is fact and what is fiction. So, and that was never the intention. The intention was for you to sit down, drink your coffee, write your dissertation and use Google to find the answer. And the idea was, oh, it should be one clear answer. But because there's so much information, because this beast has grown there, you know, that there are so many different options that you now have to come to another decision. It's like, okay, I need to pick what is the right answer. I don't necessarily know what I'm looking for, but now I've got to disseminate this information to find, yeah, what is the best answer? What is the factually correct answer? And so I think actually, though, that is a force for good, because 
it has made your life more efficient. Now you don't have to go to the library, for example, which has saved you so much time of traveling into uni, coming back, looking for a certain book. So in that sense, yeah, it, it was a it was a net positive. Yeah, just just to just in my defense, if my professor is listening, which he isn't, I didn't use Google. Used all the right platforms such as ResearchGate, stuff like that, Google Scholar, all that. I did not use Google. Just putting it out there because you're apparently not meant to use Google. But there's a more important point here. Why is your professor not listening? Have you not plugged the podcast in your that's class? A good point. I think you're onto something. This is what I'm going to do next time. Next time I'm just going to go in there and I'll be like, I'm the guest lecturer, people. I'm just going to connect my phone to the projector and I'm just going to put it on. Can you sponsor your seminars for us? Oh, yeah. Easy. Light work. I'll just go in with the merch. Should we record like an advertisement for your seminars? I think we should. I think we should. I think we need merch. That's what we need as well. Do you think it would be a good a good marketing strategy to team up with certain universities and go down to university campuses and get them to listen to podcasts? Um, it would definitely be good for us. What when if it would it have for the university though? Well, when they when they're studying in the library mm-hmm. and it's six p.m. and it's dark outside and they've been there all day and they just wanna they wanna relax a little bit, or even not when they're in the library when they're coming home after studying from the library. And they're a little bit brain dead and they want to listen to two people who are also brain dead talk about absolutely <laughs> nothing. I think that, yeah, it, it will be good to listen to Coffee Hour podcast. It's a win-win for everyone. I agree. I think uh, that I think we should do that. I think we should just start going to universities. I think we should whip out the podcast. We should be like, listen, man, this is what's missing in your life. This is like on the ground campaigning. Okay. We're not going to use social media. We're just going to get down there. I wonder what unit. Well, we could start off with actually with uh, University of West London. Yeah. Then we can go to Queen Mary, mm-hmm. and then we can we can see from there. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we should do it the old-fashioned way. Just go in all or nothing. But how's your dissertation going, man? Yeah, man, it's going it's going great actually. I've got a head start, so I'm doing a dissertation in two parts. I'm doing a literature review, and I'm doing the actual part of the dissertation after Christmas, after Christmas holiday, so for the second semester. The topic of my dissertation is to investigate the mechanical properties of concrete when you add polypropylene as a reinforcement to it. Um, what that is, is polypropylene is a plastic-ish material which can be used as reinforcement in concrete. And it's meant to have some benefits and stuff like that. Um, it's going great because we're ahead of everyone. Like, obviously, you have to pick your... So for people who don't know, when you do your dissertation, you have to, at least this this is on my case, I assume you did the same. You have to pick a specific lecturer or a professor who will guide you throughout the way. Is that the same with you? Ours was, ours was opposite, as in we would pick a topic and then we would then get assigned a lecturer who was like a specialist in the topic. Yeah, yeah. The same it, was, thing, it was the same thing with us as well. So it wasn't like we picked the professor. It was like we were given like 20 different topics, like some to do with concrete, some to do with designing. And like each topic or like five topic was for one professor, five was for another. As you said, it's probably their field of like where their field of knowledge shines, basically. So we picked the professor we picked. There's only like maybe three, four other people with him, including me. Uh, just because like some of the topics he had were just slightly harder. Um, 
but the way he gave the structure to us was actually perfect. So we finished basically the literature review. Like I've basically finished it. I just have to finalize it. And in the class, when I was just telling everyone else, yeah, we're basically finished. Everyone's just panicking. They haven't even started yet. Um, not to say anything bad about the other professors, but I think, yeah, the structure we had for literature review was, was I'm, very solid. I'm surprised how quick you've done that literature review, just because, like, I think I, d I genuinely I didn't start writing my dissertation until February and it was due in May. Obviously, I was researching for months. Um, I had to read so many different books, make so many different notes, but I didn't actually put pen to paper on drafting something, which I think the first thing I did do was the literature review um, until February. But I guess perhaps that's because do you have a different deadline, for example, to have that submitted? Well, yeah, so we have to submit the literature review part, which is 35% of the overall mark by, I believe, 11th or 14th of December. Okay, yeah. Uh, and the other part, obviously, at the end of the second semester. However, that being said, that's why I'm saying the structure that was given to us was made clear. And that's why we started writing quite early, because the first couple of weeks, we were just, as you said, researching, but we weren't researching into general topics. So he had it he gave us a format of which we had to choose five keywords about that dissertation, five keywords of which we're going to talk about keywords such as uh, durability of concrete, uh, workability, mechanical property, stuff like that related to the topic, obviously. Then we had to find five, six publications in each of these keywords. So we were, we nearly had 30 publications at the end. And this is what made it so easy when we, when we read all of them, we just found common grounds. We just found, okay, this is the same in this and this and this. I'm going to rework this and have this in my dissertation. Uh, so I think it was just a case of, because we had so much publication, because we had so many publications and we had so much info to go based off, then we found the common grounds and all we had to do was just rework that. Yeah, what it sounds like is, like, right from the beginning, your professor has clearly set out a structure for you, which is really good. Whereas I think mine was more opposite, where it was like, Oh, I, I go to them if I have any questions, but I'm pretty much all on my own. Um, so what I will say is, though, it's great that you've started this early and that you've obviously you have to get it done, but that you've got that down. And that leaves you, well, that must leave you five or six months and to write the whole thing. And I assume the is the literature review, is that part of your, you're doing 12,000 words, right? Yeah, yeah, 10,000 for me, 10, 12,000, yeah. And how many words does your lit review have to be? Uh, 4,000 including the abstract introduction and the summary. That is a, that's a long lit review. Mine was about 2,000 words, I think. Yeah, so basically the literature review itself would be around 3,000 words, would be around maybe like 2,800 words, but then 1,000, as I said, would just be introduction, abstracts, and uh, summary of the literature review. Oh, I see. Yeah. And how it, so the writing process itself, how are you finding that? Are you enjoying it? Is it difficult? Yeah. So I actually, I used to always struggle with not struggle, but I don't, I usually, even when, when I text, like I usually text just like I talk, like, like some people like type a paragraph and then they send it, but I, I type two words. I send it, I type one word, I send it. So I type just like I talk. So I always had the problem of trying to make my work look academic in a way do you know what i'm trying to say yeah it, it's a learning curve isn't it you have to you have to write i think 
very differently to how you talk because you need to make every word has to be efficient and effective and it has to justify its place in the sentence so you can't say like for example you can't you can't take any pauses in your writing it just it has to be efficient and straight to the point and yeah that in that sense yeah it's it's a learning curve but i think you really what you you learn through um doing lots of academic writing and just taking on feedback and also a lot of editing as well yeah yeah exactly so for me one thing i found was like when i would find a point in like two different three different publications which basically they all meant the same thing but obviously they each had it written in a different way and i would just read them in all those different way i would say like okay i see now i know how to make it look academic like i would take one word from there then i would reword the next one and i would take something else from the other one do you know what i mean it just then i would just make it work yeah the um the the nuances of writing are really interesting if me and you were to write an essay and me and you were to write a article and it doesn't matter what the article's on but let's say it's on podcasts um the style of writing that we would have to use would be completely completely different because like i said academic writing has to be efficient whereas if you're doing journalism for example it just needs flow exactly. um because it's sort of like a narrative storytelling um it's fascinating when you really get into it and you do so many different types of writing but like we said it's a it's a learning curve but go on sorry i cut you off yeah you know just just when i said like for my second part i don't think my second part would be close to what you did because because it's related to engineering my second part is mostly going to be practical so as in i won't necessarily be using a lot of research that's already done i won't necessarily be using a lot of publications what i'll be doing is i'll be doing lab experiments and then i have to describe those lab experiments for like i don't know 6000 words 7000 words so it's mostly my own data the data of my own work yeah so you'll be carrying out your own research and then you will be like um liking science for example like a lab report you will then be going through i assume methodology your findings your conclusions on your findings so you'll be analyzing your own work whereas mine was like mine was creating analysis but based off you know reading the facts myself but also different historians arguments so my my own argument was created through other people's arguments whereas i think yours i i think i'm right in saying this yours is more so just your argument is based off what you've created what you've produced and so you you have to again you have to go off the facts actually because yeah yeah it's it's analyzing your own uh your own research but yeah 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 exactly and it's like it's funny because like a year you basically finishing a year before me and I'd, i i came to your house one time and i saw you had your dissertation printed i was so thick and i was like uh like surely that didn't take you a year to write and you're like wait until you get there man and i'm like i'm going to do that in two days and then i'm here thinking i may need two years for this i wish i had more time but you know what it is actually because it's misleading yes you had a year to research and write it but like also you got to bear in mind you're doing other modules at the same time exactly um and there's essays and assignments for that but actually like so that was the finished thing my one was 37 pages long but in terms of what i actually wrote in terms of like drafts and stuff i probably did double the size so i probably did like 75 pages but of course you can only you have to do it within the word limit i think i had a draft which was like a finalized draft of like 12k um but i had to cut down because my mine was 10% 
over and under 10k so i could go up to 11k okay and i think i did 10,400 or something Mm -hmm. um but yeah uh i wish i wish i could have written longer but if you want to do that well you can do that on your own accord or you can do a master's degree with a dissertation and write even more so we'll see did you also have to write abstract introduction and summary so yeah the only the only difference that i didn't have to do was an abstract um but i know what an abstract is but yes i had to do a I had to do an intro, lit review. Uh, I did three chapters, but you can do as many as you want. You probably should do three to five. And then I did conclusion. So pretty simple structure, yeah. But it's a legacy though, man. It's a legacy. You've, are you proud of it? How proud of you? How proud of it are you? I'm, I'm so proud of it. I've, already, I've only done like, what, 3,000, wrote 3,000. I'm so proud of it. Irrespective of the grades, um, it's the best bit of writing I've ever done. And it's the piece of writing I've enjoyed the most because so many hundreds of hours were put into it. All the research I've got, I've got stacks of research notes. I've got hundreds, I've got so many pages of research notes and I found it really enjoyable because actually at the end of the day, after getting a history degree, I am a historian. So, and that is my, whether you call it official or not, that is my official piece of work that represents three years of work. So I was really proud of my dissertation and yeah, I printed it off. I'm not, not ashamed in saying that. I'm very proud to have it printed off. And hopefully I hope I can write, write more, um, more things like that in the future. It's definitely something that I'd be interested in doing, uh, pursuing history again, perhaps not in, um, not in an academic sense at university, but maybe, maybe something sparks my interest that I want to write, you know, however many pages on on a certain topic but i'd definitely be interested to do it again in my opinion it's only a starting point i agree with you i agree with the legacy of which you'll leave behind at some point which brings us on to legacy which we wanted to talk about and i'll tell you i'll tell you what prompted me to think about legacy and it was the release this week of a napoleon film Mm -hmm. now napoleon bonaparte died almost two centuries ago and yet here we are in 2023 and there's a film releasing about him and i don't know i find that fascinating that this man that i mean everyone leaves a legacy behind but some people are giants in the sense that here we are 200 years later and we're still we're still talking about this man and we don't want to focus on napoleon specifically but we sort of wanted to talk about what is legacy? What what do you think legacy is? I think uh, it could be a good thing and a bad thing. Like, I think the word legacy is what people are going to remember you as. Because there's one thing doing something and there's one thing that will be remembered in the history books. I think legacy is what people, people will remember you as. I think, and your achievements and everything you've done and how you've done them. Exactly. So... I think most commonly people would say that their legacy is their children. Mm-hmm. That's what you leave on the earth. That's the thing that you're most proud of. Um, but your legacy can also be, you know, how people you knew remember you. Or if you were a great world leader, a great president, a prime minister. And let's take Winston Churchill, for example, um, prime minister of Britain during World War Two. Well, that that is his legacy, the fact that he was a wartime leader. I think legacy doesn't just encompass 
the whole individual and everything they've done, but it usually focuses on a specific part. But if we think about Napoleon, um, well, what was his legacy? He, I, I think people would say, well, what did Napoleon do? Uh, he was a great military leader and he conquered Europe, sure. But I mean, there are other aspects of his life. He was also kicked out of France. Um, he lost certain conflicts. And I can't speak to his character, as Ridley Scott said recently, uh, in, in regards to historians criticizing his films, we weren't fucking there. So yeah. I can't speak to Napoleon's character, but certainly I think we remember him for maybe one or two things. And so legacy is usually defined by one or two actions or things in your life, but it's something, it's not something that's set in stone. Uh, legacy changes. And if I take someone like President John F. Kennedy, well, his legacy immediately after his death would be called, would come under the guise of something called the Camelot School of Thought. It was this idea that with the death of John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in 1963, it was an end of a golden era and there would never be a golden era again. Well, as we've moved five or six decades away from that, his legacy is completely changed somewhat historians have sort of looked into it and said well hold on a second was it really a golden era but i think your legacy can be shaped by the moment that you lived but it also develops as we move away from that and so yeah i think an interesting thing would would be to say that legacies are, are never set in stone they always develop as time move on yeah of course it's unfair to say that uh it's like we should bring down their legacy just because one thing they said back then in today's standards may not be acceptable or whatever but you have to look at it whenever they did what they did was it a good thing that's it that's very true yeah you need to you need to analyze them in the period in which they lived so i think again if we take kennedy um post me too period so from 2016 onwards people will bring up a lot about his treatment and his his extramarital affairs with women and they would say well that is wrong and nowadays perhaps he wouldn't be president because of that but in the frame and the reference of the time that was not so much of an issue and he was seen as a very progressive but also well-thinking important international statesman it's very interesting actually because like i said if we if John F. Kennedy was running for president in 2023, um, I don't think he'd get elected because of scandal, because of extramarital affairs, like I said. Yet, that's something that people, I feel, are willing to put behind them. As we move away and these affairs have come out, people go, okay, yes, he was a flawed man, but he's a great man. But I think that just shows how society progresses, for example. So yes, we should judge people on the period in which they're born, but we should also recognize that we live in a different society ourselves. And whilst you can hold them to the standards of today, um, you shouldn't really judge them by the standards of today. You should judge them from the period in which they're born. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like the decision you make only, if you are like, like a president of a country, the decisions you make, would most likely only affect the generations that you have power over. Like, 
the decisions could be changed a hundred years after your death. The decisions could be changed with the next president. So it's unfair to say, okay, he did that, but now we don't accept that. Yeah, okay, but as you said, back then there was something that was more acceptable, perhaps. Exactly, and I just on legacy, it's not also. It doesn't have to be a certain event, for example, that you were a wartime leader.、Um, it can also be more tangible things. So, if we take John F. Kennedy, for example, well, the NASA Launch Operations Center in 1963 was renamed into the John F. Kennedy Space Center. Idlewild Airport in New York was renamed to John F. Kennedy International Air- Airport, and it's one of the One of the busiest airports on the planet, or in Harvard University, they renamed their one of their facilities into the John F. Kennedy School of Government. So there can be physical implications of your legacy, and you can leave something behind. You've also got the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum in Boston, Massachusetts. You know this incredible building where you can access all his documentation. Yeah, and that building is going to be maintained by the government going forward. I think it's. It's something that Franklin D. Roosevelt wrote into the Constitution that these, or not the Constitution, but certainly pass an amendment、um, where presidential libraries get set up, or you have the opportunity if you're an ex-president to set up a library in a museum, which houses all your documents, and that is part of your legacy. It gives people access to your time and your place.、Um, So yeah, legacy is not just this idea and just this moment. It is something that evolves, and it is also something that has physical implications. You can actually leave something on this planet, whether it be a building, whether it be a space center, whether it be a street name or a school. There are physical implications of your legacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, there's also a lot of people that somewhat get fucked over with that system because. A lot of things they do may be the right thing, but just right thing at the moment, but just not right thing for their legacy. So they may be remembered as a bad person or as like a horrible person, but thing they did back then or whenever it was might have been actually the right thing to do. So it's a bit, it's it's a tricky topic because it's fair on some people and not fair on other people.、Uh, but it's. For them, it wouldn't make a difference. Like, I don't know. Like, to you, is it important how people remember you after you're gone? The most important thing is the impact that you leave on the people most important to you.、Um, and so, I'm. We're not public figures. We're not actors, or we're not politicians. And so, I mean, from my standpoint, it doesn't matter how people perceive me. So long as that I have had a positive impact on those closest to me, that is all that matters. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess, well, I guess it's just a responsibility is more if you are a public figure because it's okay. You, you are just going to have impact on people around the world. It's like if you're a celebrity, it there are people which would probably give the most imp- Give the most precious thing in the life just to see you for minutes. There are people who would probably, if something were to happen to you, there are people who would probably kill themselves. Do you know what I mean? So it's like there's millions of people around the world of which everything you do may impact them. That's true. If you're like, for example, if you're a politician, I guess, yeah, you'd be more inclined to think, what is my political legacy? What are people going to remember me for? Because it's quite an egotistical space. 
Or if you're an actor, for example, you're thinking, well, I've only got to, I need to work with this certain director and that certain director because these films are my legacy, you know, and I, I need to, what sort of image do I want to portray? Well, I want to portray that I'm this Oscar winning actor who has worked with all the great directors opposed to, you know, uh, being in this animated movie and this superhero movie. So yeah, legacy, legacy, it depends on the individual. Um, I think the most important legacy, just to reiterate, the most important legacy that we can leave behind is our impact on those most immediate to us. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I, I totally, because once at the end of the day, that is what's going to be remembered and that's, that's what's going to be there. Um, like you, sp you spoke about like the legacy from like the, uh, well, you use the politician as an example, John F. Kennedy, but even like when you look at sports, there's people who just change the outcome of the sport, not just for themselves, not just for people around them, but for, for a nation. I'll give you a quick example on that. Like uh, in the UFC, big name, you'll definitely know him. Everyone knows him. Conor McGregor. Who? <laughs> the notorious Conor McGregor. Um, Isn't he a whiskey brown? Uh, well, now he is. Before he used to be a fighter. Double champ. First double champ, in fact. Is he the guy who owns proper 12 whiskey? That's the one. Good whiskey, by the way. Still ah. need to try that. And he did UFC as well. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so like with him, there's interviews of him, which I found like heartwarming. Like he was saying back when I used to fight, because he came from, obviously from Dublin Island, and he came from a rough area. He came from a unstable background, like not financially well, not comfortable. Um, and he was saying his parents were like okay you have to stick to education you have to stick to school and he was saying his passion was just boxing at the time he started boxing first and then he switched to MMA it was like that was my passion my passion was to become a mixed martial artist and I knew I could but that before me there was no Irish man for me to go to my parents and be like look that Irish man had the skills and he did it I can't be that there was no one for him to go to his parents and be like look He's done it. I'm going to do the same. Whereas, and then he, he went to make history. He became a double, the first ever double champion in the history of UFC in two weight classes at the same time. Um, highest gate, highest numbers. He fought Floyd fucking Mayweather inside the boxing ring. And now there's people. So we have, uh, we have like Sophie and Gary, who's another Irish guy who said, I was inspired by Conor McGregor. So what he did at the moment, McGregor, was probably he didn't, he had no clue it's going to have such an impact. The legacy is going to be that. But then you have all these Irish kids wanting to do it just because he did it. Or that you have all these fans around the world wanting to do it because he did it. And a lot of them are going to be successful. And they somewhat owe it to him. I don't want to say they owe it to him. Obviously, they owe it to the hard work, to their coaches and everything. But it's the inspiration that counts. And that's also part of your legacy is at the end of the day, how you inspire other people to do what you do, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, let's just say sport. If you inspire other people to do your sport, at the end of the day, you're doing a favor to that sport as well because you may discover a new talent which you didn't know existed the day before. So yeah, the legacy is important as, as to a lot of time you may not even know how it's going to impact other people, but then 10 years later, you have this other champion coming in. You have this other contender coming in saying, oh yeah, I was inspired by the Irishman Conor McGregor 10 years ago when he became a double champ. You're absolutely right. That That is part of what Conor McGregor's legacy will be, is the fact that 
he has opened doors for you know other young Irish kids for example who want to get into the UFC they now have a role model they now have a blueprint for that success and that path whereas I think we're right in saying that before perhaps that didn't exist in where he came from and so in that sense he was his own inspiration so legacy does not have to be a certain event it does not have to be a certain policy in terms of sport it can also be the opportunities and the doors that you have opened i wonder if there's any any other sports stars that we could think of who have a legacy in the sense that they open so many doors i'm sure that there are but i'm sure there's many sorry but i can't really think on the top of my head i guess you could say for example in women's tennis serena and venus williams um a, a big inspiration for a lot of african-american people to get into tennis for example or i guess you could say tiger woods in golf exactly again an incredible inspiration and influence on african-americans who want to get in golf for example so that would be their legacy that would be part of their legacy of course another aspect of their legacy for example would be all the trophies they've won and coming up in the conversations of the greatest of all time in their certain sport but what's the what's the more important legacy i think that inclusivity and creating the opportunity for other people like them to pursue what they love that's the more important legacy and so this leads me on to another question is legacy always a good thing or is it a negative thing what do you think um i think it's mostly a good thing once again it's just these are things that are out of your control these are things of which i think people should have the level of understanding of their capabilities and then try to push their limits as much as they can like guys like like female Serena Williams guys like Lionel Messi guys like Cristiano Ronaldo there is going to be kids around the world who would want to do their sport just because these guys do it but not all of them and in fact probably just a fraction of are going to be successful in it many of them may pick up life-threatening injuries doing it training it practicing it whilst they've been inspired by these guys by these females athletes so the downside of it would probably be the fact that if it's everything that's your life like if your life is to be a football player like Messi just because you're a fan of Messi then you also have to be realistic like what are the odds of like a 10 year old becoming as big as Messi just because he's a fan of Messi and that's once again that's something that's out of their control but I think it just comes down to you being realistic and to you looking at the facts and understanding okay I can do this as possible it's not impossible but as Kanye West once said he can play in the NBA if he wants to um but dropping a Kanye quote are you trying to get us cancelled <laughs> uh, sorry to correct that yay not Kanye you just have to you just have to correct that um but yeah I think it's it's just understanding your capabilities it's like you have to be realistic for yourself with yourself so you don't get your heart broken down the line well, here's an interesting question. What do you think Kanye's legacy is after his antics over the past few years? Are we going to, let me frame this, mm -hmm. are we going to remember him as a rapper and a musician? 
or are we going to remember him as the guy who said, I love Hitler? I think... Uh, I just want to say this. I think Kanye West is the greatest musician artist of all time. One of them, at least. He's up there, I think. For what he does in music, I think he's one of the greatest of all time. Um, and I think he's genuinely a good person. Like, obviously, I've never met him in person. But out of everything I've seen from him, he just seems like a nice person. Everyone's going to be overwhelmed. Look, if you have cameras on you 24-7, if you don't have one minute of privacy in your life, you can't always be at your best. You can't always say the stuff the media wants to hear. Everything you say is going to upset a certain amount of people. Obviously, there's no excuse for saying such a thing as I love Hitler. Like that's, and that's, I think, exactly what, what he said. I, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, we don't, we don't have, well, I've seen the clip and just going off memory. Yeah, I do believe he did. He did say I love Hitler. Yeah, so. But that's what I mean. That's what I mean by him being overwhelmed. It might have been a case where him, if if that's what he actually meant, then come on, man, you deserved everything that happened to you. But once again, why would you say something if you don't mean it? But once again, this comes. Do you know down what I to, think? Yeah, sure. I think like if we were to, if people were to look back on Kanye West in a hundred years, I think that I I love Hitler situation would just be a footnote. I think his musical achievements would probably overshadow that. I think that's just um, all the backlash, naturally um, and understandably, uh, is just something in the short term. But in terms of history, those things sort of get, I think it probably would get swept aside um, because I think his contribution to music has been more significant. If we talk about another artist, for example, like Michael Jackson, well, there have been many allegations and, and many claims made against him um, in regards to paedophilia, for example, and yet the music still lives on. Um, it's not really, in that sense, it's not a question about the morality and what is right, right and wrong with that individual. That's certainly another conversation and a deeper conversation to get into, but his legacy is his music. And Although at times that has overshadowed his legacy, uh, I think in general people, for example, would still love to listen to Billie Jean and they're not going to turn it off. So I think, yeah, it, in regards to, to Kanye and the I love Hitler thing, I do think it's more so of um, of a footnote. I think if, you, if you're going to be looking back in hindsight, and I think people would probably focus on the music more than anything, they'd probably be like, oh, well, you know... Um, this is a troubled individual, an individual who has bipolar, and perhaps there's more context to why he said it. And of course, it's not a not a good thing at all to say. But yeah, the focus would be on the music that he's made. And again, the doors and the opportunities and the inspiration that has given to other individuals. Exactly. That, and that's what I meant by what you do and what actually go ends up going in the history books is he's going to be remembered as an artist at the end of the day. He's going to be, he's not going to be remembered as the person who tried to become the president of the United States. He's going to be remembered as an artist. And that's, I think that's a good thing because think about it, man, these people, just just think about your own life if you have a camera on your face 24 7 everything they do they record everything they do everything you do they take out of context like you have millions of millions different opinions on whatever you do what you wear how you walk how you talk you're gonna be overwhelmed at some point 
So it's just a case of people, I think, I don't want to say forgetting, but I think that is a case. I think it's just going to be a case where over time people are just going to forget these mistakes and stick to what the eternal thing he left behind, which is his music. Are we going to get cancelled for talking about Kanye West and Michael Jackson on this episode? Oh, without a doubt. No doubt about it. I was I was just about I was gonna make another point on your point about Princess Diana mm-hmm. um and, and how she died, but I think yeah, then we would definitely get cancelled. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Should we let's segue into something that I don't think we'll get cancelled about, and that is the Marvels. Um Yeah, let's cancel them. Guys, we said we were gonna watch it over the weekend and we both did. And yeah, Asha, you start. What did you think? Disaster at its finest. Okay, it was a good film. It was a good film. Unnecessary. Was it? No, it wasn't. It was a six out of ten. Five out of ten. Six out. Nah, six out of ten. Yeah, I'd say it was a six. It out was of a 10. solid six. Yeah. Yeah. But it was unnecessary. It's just like these other MCU films. What was the last MCU film we watched together? Was it Thor or was it Black Panther two? The last we watched together was uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but I agree in terms of, and the one before mm-hmm. that was Thor. I agree in terms of like Thor Love and Thunder, um, it, it felt pretty pointless. And I guess what you mean here is like the villain felt like filler. Um, without giving away what happens, the the story is not nonsensical, but um, non-consequential as in they just go on some on some quest together. They defeat a villain, or I think maybe perhaps the villain defeats herself. Who knows? To be honest, see, I can't even remember what happens. Um, and you you end the film, and you're like, oh, I just I watched some filler. That's it. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah it's like whereas before, I don't know which phase it was, but it was phase two or phase three, which was the build up to the end game and to the uh, Infinity War. Um, with them one, you could tell, okay, all of these are connected. All of these is for a greater war at the end. But with this one, it's just a random villain who, the, the point of the villains, like it's pointless anyway. Like they're not contributing towards a greater thing. Yes, they've introduced these new characters. Yes, I like the dynamics between these characters. But if you're going to bring them back for the next, who are they going to be fighting? Are they going to be fighting some random villain of which they're going to defeat or the villain's going to defeat? himself herself or or what i think it's yeah i think firstly it's important that we say that there are good elements of the film like you said the dynamic dynamic between the three female leads was good i i like captain marvel i think brie larson is really good in the role um i liked miss marvel i haven't watched the series but i thought that she the actress playing her and the character herself was good and i like the family as well and also um, Professor Marvel, I thought, was also a good character. So, yeah, that's the positive. But like you said, the villain was was filler, inconsequential. And it didn't feel like there was a big backstory to this villain. It didn't feel as if it was convincing and we were really emotionally involved in the storytelling because we went into it. And we knew, okay, they they're gonna they're gonna defeat this villain, and they're gonna go on to their next adventure. It's not like Thanos, where we have something that's overbearing. We have this big villain, and we know, okay, we're working towards fighting that guy. This this villain was sort of we understand where she's coming from, but she doesn't really pose. She never really posed a threat. Um, and in that sense, it comes back to what I was talking about last week about emotional stakes. They were once again 
they they weren't lacking but they were they were very low they were very mediocre the emotional stakes in this film yeah and it's just the fact like right now as well they made it we talked about this before how they'll just bring back people they kill it's like right now they made it so like oh even if one of these main characters die even if captain marvel or the other ones die professor marvel did ah fine they're gonna come back when it comes to the bigger war at the end you know what i mean yeah and i also want to say like there were some attempts in this film i said this to you after watching it where you could sense that perhaps this was a film where it was trying to have some social commentary on climate change and the migrant crisis but the the problem with that is it just it doesn't get deep enough into it so it's like on one level it's trying to reflect the society we live in and saying okay these are important things and we're gonna try and incorporate into that in that into our story but on another level it's like well you just don't get deep into it it's sort of like background noise nothing is really in depth do you know what i mean like there's an opportunity there to do a really good story about like the climate crisis in terms of the and frame it in in the mcu world and create a compelling villain there but it just it didn't feel deep enough it was it was it wasn't it was three-dimensional writing but on a mediocre level do you know what i mean there was there was more opportunity to go in more depth and they didn't take it which is fair enough i also said to you after that film i would have rather a film purely about captain marvel i think she's a really cool character she's incredibly powerful within that universe but for whatever reason they wanted to introduce this trio which is fine because the relationship dynamic between them was good um and their good screen presence but i would have just preferred a a standalone captain marvel sequel and i certainly think that the captain marvel film compared to this film was better which god if if i had said that a few years ago i would have been like what because we came out of captain marvel and we were like you did we came out of that and we were like this is one of the mediocre ones but listen now we now we've got to the point where captain marvel is a frame of reference and and a and a peak (laughs) to aim for unfortunately yeah it's it's i think what they're doing at the moment is like i i think i told you this as well i think they're introducing new superheroes obviously they're not new as you said from the tv shows that have been introduced before but to the main storyline which is through the films they're introducing these superheroes but they don't want to just put out put it out the naked they want it to be a case where okay this is still related to this old superhero which everyone know and love so it's just a using someone like captain marvel putting it next to these two new superheroes to somewhat use her as an advert point where they'd be like okay captain marvel's in this film then you go watch it and you get into and you know these two after that as well because i personally i don't want to say i'm a marvel fan i've watched most of their big films um but i don't i didn't know these two new characters i didn't know you said they're through their tv shows but i didn't watch the tv shows um but now obviously i know them and i don't think i would have gone to watch the film had it not been a case where okay captain marvel wasn't it do you know what i mean because, okay, that's the one thing I know, because I don't want to go watch something that I have no clue what it is. And it's probably going to be a pointless movie with a villain that, that's going to die at the end. Yeah, I get you. Did you did you leave the film with the sense that, aside from Captain Marvel, that the villain and the two other female leads, they just felt underpowered? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 do exactly. Think, do you think that's... Could we add that to the list of another reason why these films... And not doing so well at the box office. I know we've talked about the box office 
I think the past three episodes actually, and not to bang on about it, but do you think that could be another reason where it's just like the your main characters themselves are just they don't feel powerful enough? Like what yeah. was what even was Miss Marvel's superpower? It was like she was just grappling could... the whole time. She was wrestling the whole time, but she could use a shield. Like she could just make a shield. That's it. She could make a shield and she could make platforms and she was grappling. Whereas you've got Captain Marvel who's like shooting out space beams and just looks cool. Like I know I know who feels more overpowered just from visually looking at her, and I know who I'm gonna be more invested in. Because exactly. when your superheroes feel weak and your villain feels weak, it's like well, that's just another element as to why you're going, why am I watching this, you know? So, yeah, I do think that's another that's another issue. But that comes with um, when you're re- when you're introducing so many more superheroes, because it's like there are only so many powers that you can create um, exactly, and there are only yeah. so many powerful characters that you can introduce. Like there's got to be some weak ones. And unfortunately, these two characters, aside from Captain Marvel, um, were weaker ones. And that did that did dampen my enjoyment of the film. That being said, was it a bad film? It wasn't a bad film. I think actually, I think it's a bit harsh, the the box office numbers. It was it was certainly a, probably about a 6.5 out of 10. I think, think we agree on that. Um, it wasn't yeah. the strongest film, but uh, yeah, it's, it's another disappointing entry, but I never went into it expecting it to be great. It, it was pretty much as I thought it would be. So I'm I'm not, I'm not disappointed at the film itself um, because I knew it's probably going to be like this. I'm actually, I'm going to see hunger games this week and I'm much more looking forward to that because that looks like there's a more three dimensional story there um, opposed to this Mm -hmm. one. So yeah, a mediocre film that that's, I think that's our review. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. A side note though, you know, the Miss Marvel's the one that had powered the bracelets. Yes. Um, and she said she got him from like her grandma. Does that mean her grandma was a superhero? All these opportunities for spin-offs. Look what they're doing. <laughs> right under your nose. You're at, well, you're absolutely right. And I assume the grandma must have had some awareness of the power. That's a really interesting opportunity because that would mean there would be a superhero series or film set within like the mid to early 20th century. And that that's something I don't think they've done. Only aside from those Captain America flashbacks. Um, so yeah. that, that's an interesting opportunity. Just doing something different, right? They've got to do something different because this film didn't feel different. Do you know what I mean? We've seen I agree we've seen you, yeah. superheroes team up before. Okay, yes, we've never seen these three uh, female superheroes team up before, but the, this is something we've seen before. We've seen a weak villain before. We saw it in Thor Love and Thunder, for example, and countless other Marvel films. Um so yeah they again they just need to diversify in in their storytelling and like i keep reiterating something with emotional stakes something that's gonna make me sit down watch it and really relate to what i'm seeing on the screen something that's deeper than just two-dimensional or just basic three-dimensional storytelling that's what we need that's what we want a bit harsh something that would make the hardcore fans cry like the death of uh iron man yeah, and listen, no disrespect to anyone who has worked on these films because, of course, they probably they put their best effort out there and they've, they've done better than I could do. Um, so, 
but I just think from the the view experience, we you know it's good that we hold them to such high standards and we want the best products possible. And so I don't think it's a negative thing to critique, especially when you can identify what you're critiquing and how it can be improved because there is room for improvement. Um, I think people have noticed that and identified that over the past few films and series. And I think it's advice that they should probably take on board. I think it's it's for the best. I definitely agree because this film was so mid, but I agree with that. That's the perfect word. It was mid. Shout out to Firas if you're listening. Captain, no, the Marvels, mid. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, there's one more thing we want to talk about, and we were going to talk about it last week, and that is Reacher Season 2 coming this December to Amazon Prime Video. That's Have hard. you seen the trailer? Are you excited for that? I watched the trailer a few weeks ago, and yes, because Season 1 was unreal. It was really good. You watched, when did you watch season one? Was it recent? I watched season one last summer. Um, I think, I think it was after you watched it actually. And you just said, you know, check it out. Uh, so I checked it out and it's, it was really good. It's not like in terms of storytelling, it's not the deepest thing, but the character itself in Jack Reacher and the performance from the actor playing him is just so compelling. And it's a really interesting world to get into. Like I said, it's not perhaps the greatest level of storytelling, but certainly they have that compelling factor that, that as a viewer, it draws you in. And I'm really excited for this second season, which they're not following the order of the books. So season one was based off the first book. And I believe season two is based off the ninth or the 11th book. And there is a reason behind that. Um, which is certain characters that were introduced in the first season of the show. They, for example, don't turn up in book two, but they do turn up in books down the series. And so I think it makes more sense to go from book one, for example, to book nine, when you have similar characters that you've already introduced in the show. Yeah, And also it's it's important to note with Jack Reacher that the um, the books are standalone, as in, it's not really a connected story because there's like there's 20 plus books, but there's not a connected story between them. So each mission, if you want to call it that, um, is different with every book. So that's why you can pivot from book one to book 11 to book nine, for example. Yeah, exactly. And um, well, I haven't read the books, but just the character, as you said, Alan Ripson, I think is his name. That's it. Yeah. He just does such a good job because you compared that to Tom Cruise and Yes, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise, but I think I think this guy's better. I think it's just how jacked he is, not the name, just the physique, just works. It just works with the character, and I think that's what you'd expect from a character like that. You'd want this mean-looking guy who's massive, has all the strength in the world. Um, and yeah, season two, if it's as good as season one, I'm happy, because I think season one was really good. For an Amazon show, I think it was good. I think it was one of the best shows they've ever done. Yeah, so we've got the numbers in front of us. From the first week um, of releases, that is the the most watched show in Amazon Prime history in terms of the amount of minutes watched in the first week, which is 1.58 billion minutes. So it is their most popular show of all time. Um, and like you said, the actor... He's got incredible, incredible physical presence. Um, 
which Tom Cruise, whilst he is a physical presence in some way, um, he's not, for example, tall enough. He doesn't reflect the character as it is in the book, which makes this actor, Alan Richardson, so much better, much a much more natural fit for the character. And you, the reason why you watch the show fundamentally is not because of the story or the relationships in the story. You're just watching it for Reacher and the way that he moves around in his environment, the way that he beats people up, the way that he interacts with people. It's so entertaining. And I think regardless of how good it is and how it gets reviewed, I think it's going to be another hit. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to watching this one this Christmas. Yeah, I remember there was a scene in the first season where he got in a fight with this guy at the bar and then he looked at him and he was like, you're a boxer, southpaw, golden glove. I was like, you know what the problem with boxing is? Too many rules. And then he knocked this guy out. And I'm like, oh, God damn it, man. Do I need to start wrestling again? It's the dialogue as well. You just, you mentioned it there. Just the way that he speaks. It's just, well, that there's a reason why those books have been so incredibly popular and continue to be so incredibly popular. Like Lee Child, the creator of Jack Reacher, struck gold, really. Um, it's, it is the perfect character. And hopefully... Hopefully we get more, we get as so many, so many seasons of this show, because like I said, there are 20 plus books now. I mean, at this rate, what is it? They're releasing one season every two years, but I'd listen, I'd watch it all. I'd watch it all. Yeah, literally same. So the release date is set for December 15th. So, so that's only a few weeks from now. Yep. And I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's just going to be a perfect, and it's not even like a, Christmassy show to say okay I'm looking forward to watch it during Christmas but I think it's going to be a good fit for Christmas I know does that make sense I think it's going to be a good fit for Christmas yeah it makes sense and from a from a marketing point it makes sense because when is everyone going to be at home well around Christmas time and so when would you release your new season of your most popular and your most watched show of all time well you're going to do it when you have the majority of people at home and so that makes sense over Christmas and also, like, people are more likely to binge it, for example, over Christmas. They have less things to do. They're not working. Uh, it It's smart to release it when they are. And I am looking forward to it. Does Amazon release shows like Netflix? Do, like, do they release the whole thing at one time or is it one episode each week? So I believe that, like the boys, they release it weekly, which, as you know, I sort of prefer because I don't like the fact that you can sit down and and binge you know 10 hours of television in a day for example whereas if you have a weekly release it sort of keeps you ticking over and thinking about that show for the next week and you have something to look forward to rather than shows just being a moment they become an eight week or a 10 week event and that's something i far more enjoy what about you I, I somewhat agree. So personally, if, if I want to watch a series and they've got all the episodes, right, I never sit down and watch all the episodes at once. Like I never binge watch it like that. But I would like to have access to all the episodes. And that's weird because, like, if, if there's a show and then I want to watch every episode, I'll probably watch one episode every two nights. Every three nights I'll watch one episode. But if there's a show which comes out weekly... Like I will watch it, but it's just gonna, it's just it just makes me lose momentum. Like I like to watch it in a shorter like distance, like rather than a week. But I do get what you mean. It does build anticipations. I remember 
the last one that was like that and I was so hyped every week was uh the final season of Game of Thrones. Like every week it would come the new episode would come out. I was like, so excited to just watch this episode, next episode, next episode. Um so I think yeah, with that, but that's just because I like that show a lot. So with that I liked it the way they did one episode every week. But yeah, with with this Jack Reacher, like I'm at home, it's Christmas, I have nothing to do but drink, uh, watch TV. I just want it all there. Like I'm not even going to watch it all in a week. Like it's probably still going to take me like, if there's like six episodes, it's probably going to still take me like three weeks to watch. But yeah, I'd rather watch it in three weeks. You can, you can sit at home with your glass of Baileys, your of nine chicken McNuggets on your lap. <laughs> This guy, by the way, cannot finish a 20 box of chicken McNuggets meal. He can't do it. Okay, that's that's an exaggeration. I can. The reason I can't is because I also get a Big Mac. I also get a Big Mac and fries with it. I finish that and then I'll end up having like 10 chicken nuggets. So get nine chicken nuggets instead of wasting Well, it's crazy though. It's a downfall. I used to be able to finish all of them. I don't know. Since I stopped exercising due to my injuries, I can't. I don't know why. If anything, I should be eating more now. So the last time we, I had it with you was on Saturday after we watched the movie. And I was so hungry because I purposely didn't have breakfast either. And then we went we went around lunchtime. But I just had a coffee or something for breakfast. I was so hungry. I was like, okay, I'm so looking forward to this. Like during the whole thing, I was just thinking about McDonald's. I'm going to be real. And then we went there. And I'm like, <sighs> and then my girlfriend was there. She was like, what do you want? I was like, uh, we could get like a chicken nugget and then we could share and then we could, I was like champ I'm eating 20 nuggets and a Big Mac and I think you should get a burger as well she was like it's too much for you I was like we'll be fine have some faith in me and then two minutes later I was asking her to finish the food but um that's not the point uh but then I had it again yesterday because obviously I'm on a roll trying to trying to you know well this is the more important point where an intervention is needed so we are recording this on Tuesday and what you're telling me is on Saturday you had McDonald's and on Monday you had McDonald's. Um, so what what do we need to do here? Do we need to get you to some sort of clinic or something? Because clearly you're going through a moment. This is an episode. I am telling you, this is the one time in my life where I do not have to be worried about being gone weight due to a fight or due to just, you know, being in the best physical form as I can be. I'm just gonna eat. I know this opportunity will not be back unless I get another concussion. So it's it's tough. It's tough. I want. Do you know what I want to do? This is my goal, right? I'm gonna maximize this six months of which I can't properly train nor fight. I'll be training soon, but I won't be fighting anytime soon. Like for like the next six seven. Months. So this is my goal, right? My goal is if during training camps I always want these foods, but I can't have them because I'm meant to be. Wait, it's not that I starve, I still have good food during training camp, and I still do cheat meals every week, actually. But, um, yeah, we still do fuck it Fridays, inspired by Dana White himself. Great name, yeah. Um, which is basically just eat whatever you want on Fridays. Um, but yeah, I still, fuck it. yeah, exactly, fuck it. Um, I still do that during training camp, but it's just my logic here is okay, six months I'm not in training camp, I'm not doing anything, let me eat every junk food out there so i'm burnt so when i'm back to exercising i don't even want to have the cheat meal see the logic so that you give yourself diabetes and become obese i see no logic i see stupidity 
And I think that if you really want to fuck it, then you should just eat all the chicken McNuggets. I think the more serious issue here is the wastage that we have had two, two events in the past week of you getting McDonald's and both times you have failed to eat all the chicken McNuggets. Technically, Saturday and Monday, I got the combined number of 40 chicken nuggets and I only ate around 20. So I could have just gotten 120 chicken nugget on a Sunday instead. Awful. <laughs> but I'm telling you, man, Awful. I refuse to get diabetes. Like, come on, I refuse. Simple. You feel like you're going to get it? Just refuse. I'm... I'm not sure that's how biological science works, but if you want to believe that that is the way to go, then I'm not going to stop you. It all comes down to belief, man. So, shall we wrap up? Let's do this. Right, well, I have been your co-host, William Code. I'm your co-host, Arshia. And thank you very much for listening. See you on the next one. Take care. Take care.